From years of anxiety to warrior and mentor, Bradley Robinson created the Anxiety Project to help you end your anxiety naturally. Let's mold the new you and let's end anxiety together. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 233 of the Anxiety Project podcast. I am Brad Robinson. Today, I have a very special guest here, Dr. Edith Shiro. We talk about her book, The Unexpected Gift of Trauma. That's right. We're talking about trauma. You know how passionate I am about trauma. I have a whole page here of questions that I didn't even get through because I only had an hour with her and, you know, she was just so full of this knowledge. I mean, her background, I mean, no wonder she's been doing this a long time. She specializes in trauma. And so we talk about the steps to overcome trauma. And we, I asked her a really great question at the end of the episode, near the end, uh, about well, when is the right time to actually confront the traumas of our past? Because if we're a human being, I mean, you go through some sort of trauma in your life. So this episode is necessary. This is so huge. And I can't wait for you guys to listen and please share this with anybody else you know who would greatly benefit from this. Um, Dr. Edith Shiro is a clinical psychologist in private practice in Miami, Florida. She specializes in trauma and post-traumatic growth holding space and guiding her patients to achieve greater potential and higher consciousness. Dr. Shiro is a co-founder of the Trauma and Resilience Center, a board member of the World Happiness Foundation, and an active member of Kadena International, providing humanitarian aid and disaster prevention worldwide, and is on the advisory board of international humanitarian organization HIA. She has worked at the Bellevue NYU program for survivors of torture, the Cambodian Refugee Clinic at Montefiore Medical Center, and the Human Rights Clinical Support Network at Refuge, among others. Dr. Shiro offers workshops on trauma-based therapy for mental health professionals and is a frequent guest on various TV shows, radio shows, and podcasts like mine. So I am so excited. Uh, Without any more time, let's just jump right into it. Here is my conversation with Dr. Edith Shiro. Dr. Edith Shiro, thank you for coming on to the podcast. I greatly appreciate it. It's such a privilege for me. Thank you so much for having me. It really is an honor, Brad, and I can't wait to, you know, to be having this dialogue and conversation. I'm really looking forward. I want to start off this podcast with a quote that I find quite profound from Carl Jung. He says, people will do anything, no matter how absurd, to avoid facing their own souls. And I feel like for me, I, I feel like I speak for everyone, we all go through something traumatic in our lives. Everybody does varying degrees. And we don't know how to properly address it and confront it and shine a light. Like you talk in your book, shining that light 
of awareness onto that particular situation. So my first question is, how do we even know that we have trauma, any signs or symptoms? Mm. Thank you so much for that quote from Carl Jung. And uh, I, um, yes, it's important to clarify and to actually mention that we all have one trauma or another. And some of the traumas, we definitely know what they are because they're so uh, radical and they're so uh, much shaking who you are from the beginning, your belief system, your life, your the way that you function, of course. Some other traumas are more subtle. Some traumas are like, come in the form of microaggressions. Some, some, some traumas come in the form of like chronic uh, maltreatment, chronic bullying, or you know having a bad relationship with your mother, with your father, with your caretaker from early age. Uh, not not having the nurturance, the safety, the protection that you need from the beginning to develop as a human being. For example, those are harder traumas to identify and pinpoint or being for example discriminated against in some form or another without really realizing and thinking that's the norm so it does take self-awareness and it does take certain amount of awareness that we not, not necessarily have from the beginning of our life right to understand and realize what's going on with us and what's really happening not just as individuals but maybe as members of a group as well members of a community, you know, or a family, you know, because we're, we're not just talking about individual trauma. We're talking also about collective trauma. And what does that look like? So when you find yourself seeing this repetition in your life in which you keep feeling that Groundhog Day kind of feeling, like it keeps happening and it keeps happening and it keeps happening to you. And you're like, why am I stuck in here? Or how come I'm doing and doing and doing and always finding the same result? And there's a like a constant level of like discomfort or pain or suffering that you're saying, I want to get out of this and I don't know how. You know, that's, that's an indication of trauma. Another indication of trauma and when you're have, is when you're having disproportionate responses to events in your life. And that's something, you know, I give an example always of, uh, let's say, a person that has been at war, let's say a soldier that has been at war and has been, you know, in the middle of like uh, shooting and firing and all that and then comes home and is celebrating 4th of July, let's say, and all the fireworks. And the fireworks begin, and this person is becoming crazy, crazy, like start screaming, yelling, wanting to kill somebody, or going under the table. It's like, what kind of disproportionate response is that to a firework? That's because there's some trauma in there. Or when you're walking down the street and somebody pushes you and instead of you being annoyed because somebody pushed you or because or you're getting upset, like, okay, don't push me again or what's your problem? You become enraged to another level. You can't get over it. You, be, you stay enraged for like days or you get so depressed and so sad that somebody pushed you that you can't function. Those are disproportionate responses to events that happen that there's something else going on. And those are indicators of you know, that, that we're holding trauma, not just in our minds, and usually it's unconscious, but in our bodies also, that we're registering trauma in our bodies constantly that we're not even aware of. That is so beautifully said. Um, 
is so they are stuck in this fight or flight or freeze response for a long time. Um, What is happening in that, in the brain at that point? Is it the amygdala? What's going on with the amygdala? Why are people reactive? So that is it because the brain works by association? Uh, What's really happening there? Yeah, it's not not necessarily association, but you Mm. know, we are wired to survive, Brad. This is the, our, Mm. our basic way of living in every human being and we need that it's a good thing that we have this survival you know understanding of life in which we need to constantly be aware of what's dangerous and what's not and what's happening what's not these days the danger doesn't come from a wild animal in the forest or it doesn't come from you know not being in the desert and not finding food it comes in different forms it comes in more psychological danger emotional danger social danger right or or many other ways but we do have we still have that that nervous system response the amygdala like you say yeah the amygdala and other parts of the of the nervous system that makes us into okay i'm ready to run or i'm ready to fight or i'm ready to you know play dead so they don't find me or they you know or i don't get attacked and that can be seen in uh, many different ways, in many different responses, emotionally and psychologically. So when you are in a fight response, it's not just that you're fighting against a lion or you're, you know, you're fighting against a, a, a dinosaur. It's that you are in a bad mood, you're irritable, you're like, everything is annoying you. Mm-hmm. You pick fights with people at work or with your family members. You're like, nah, not doing well. Like, and you're saying, why is everybody fighting with me? Or why am I, you know, having such a bad day that I'm having trouble everywhere? There's, there's this response that your nervous system is in that state of like, okay, let's come, come up. Let's ready to fight. Like, I, I need to, I need to defend myself, right? Because I'm not feeling safe. I'm not feeling relaxed. I'm not feeling at ease. My nervous system is not in this mode of peace, the parasystemic, you know, part of the the nervous system that is relaxed is not happening. It's in the systemic, you know, part of the nervous system that it's like, okay, I'm ready. When you're in flight mode, a lot of people identify with this. It's like everything you do is an avoidance to conflict. So either you're literally get move move yourself out of the play, the situation. You're like, okay, bye. I have to go. I'm, I don't want to go to the party. I don't want to see people. Let me stay home and not see anybody. Or you emotionally remove yourself. You get dissociated, disconnected, avoid. You're like, I don't want to think about it. I'm pretending it's not happening. I'm dissociating myself from the moment, from the place, from myself, from others. It's like a complete disconnect to avoid right that's another that's a, that's flying that's flying it's not just running from the place it's also running emotion you know and there are extreme examples so when you know i'm sure you've seen in movies when the person is abused have you seen like that camera like zooming out like you literally come out of your body you're completely disconnected from your body yep. and you're saying okay i'm not I'm, I'm there my body's there but i'm not there I'm not connected with myself. That's a way of running away, right? And then, and then the third one, which is the para- paralysis, it's like I'm paralyzed. It's not just the physical paralysis that, you know, sometimes animals, you know, become paralyzed but so they don't get eaten alive or attacked. We do that too. 
our nervous system becomes numb. So when you're in the middle of like, you know, let's say you're, you're falling or you, you're running and you fall, at first you don't feel the pain because your whole body is paralyzed. It's a wonderful way of protecting ourselves. It's incredible what our body does, our nervous system, how it works, our brain, that it protects us. It's like, I don't feel anything. I don't know anything. I don't move. I don't do. Let's say when, we're, when, the, when the pandemic started at first, let's say, some of us were like, I'm paralyzed. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know how to make decisions. It's like, don't ask me, don't tell me, because it's like, I can't, I can't move forward. I can't move back. I don't know if I should get a vaccination. I don't know if I should run away. I don't know if I should, I should move someplace. It's that sense of paralysis. Like, you don't, you know, there's no place to go and nowhere to go, and you're completely numb. So you see how it's translated into not just the physical responses, but emotional responses too. Wow. I, was deeply moved when you said it was this disconnect from emotion that I was like, Oh my God, that's so right. Um, when I went through very severe disassociation, because I connected with the story you mentioned in your book of the Buddha and he, you know, he lives in comfort and his, his father keeps him enclosed in this walled city of like, you know, I don't want my son to experience any, decay or the realities of existence he must be protected it's like the overprotective parents and then gradually moving away from what he knows into the unknown he experiences um, death decay the realities of existence the snakes slither in always like the adam and eve story they always come so for me and many other people we live in a bubble nowadays right comfort video games food is available etc etc and then all of a sudden we experience something. Maybe it's in with, within ourselves. Maybe it's like what Carl Jung says, the shadow confrontation, or mm-hmm. could or could be death of a loved one, could be illness within you. Um, so for me, I it was, you know, I came into contact with the shadow part of myself. That's what sent me into a lot of anxiety because at one point I did cheat on the person. I am with currently, but mm-hmm. a long time ago, years ago, and that sent me into PTSD because it was this confrontation with this darkness within me that led me to depersonalization, that mm. dis- that disassociation you were talking about. And then because I was in rock bottom, that was the catalyst for me to be like, I got to shine a light on this. What is happening here? And then the exploration began. Um, So my next question is, where do we begin with this exploration, Dr. Shiro? Mm, mm. Um, You know, what are the, you mentioned in your book, the five stage framework. What, what do we do at this point? Mm. And I I love that example that you're, uh, thank you so much for sharing that experience of like shattering and like, hitting rock bottom and having to face the shadows right and having to see okay what's what's up with me and if I understand correctly it has to do with like a sense of betrayal that happened in your relationship and you know it, it really shakes right it shatters the understanding of what a relationship is in some ways or it may be an it's like a redefinition of what your relationship has to be like after after that betrayal because I guess it happened for your 
for your partner, but for you too. It's like, yep. okay, what am I doing with this? How exactly. am I understanding who I am? Like, who am I in a relationship? Who is the other person? You know, everything that I knew to be true about myself and about the other no longer applies. Right? So it's like a re redefinition of who we are. And uh, some people just stay in that state of shattering and saying, okay, this is what happened to me. And I, you know, I'm continuing to be like that and maybe even pretend that, that nothing happened or avoid it, you know, move on to the next relationship and say, okay, I'm just going to forget about this and move on into something else. And then it repeats again in the next relationship. Right. Or, um, hide all those feelings somewhere in the body under the rug, you know, and then it comes up years later, either in the form of like a chronic illness yeah. or in the form of a mental, you know, like a depression, like chronic depression or panic attacks or like high levels of anxiety that it doesn't allow you to function. So it does manifest in some way when we don't deal with it. So I'm really honoring that you actually sounds like you stopped, you know, I don't know if you were meant to stop or somebody <laughs> made it. Well, um, no, it was within me because it, I had to do a complete shift in my lifestyle. I was living this hedonistic lifestyle in my twenties, like not taking on responsibility not bearing responsibility, not looking inwards towards my own inadequacies and not integrating those different parts of me, the aggression, the sexual desires, the pornographic urges, not integrating these properly. So um, yes, I've recovered. I'm actually four years clean of pornography. Um, I am uh, very faithful. I have a strong moral foundation that I follow a strict routine that I follow, but it all came down to how do I prove to myself that I won't do it again? Like building inner trust. It wasn't for like, I wasn't guilty in a way where I, I was like, I have to tell my partner because they were betrayed. I was, I was like, I betrayed myself because, mm. um, I don't believe in in that way of being. I don't believe in uh, lying and deception, but I did it. It's like, how do I prove mm. to me? Mm. Wow, what a beautiful example, Brad. And you know, addiction, addiction in many forms is a, is a, I don't see addiction as a problem itself. I don't understand addiction as a mental health issue. I don't understand addiction as an issue. Addiction is only a manifestation of a trauma. Mm. And if we really look into addictions in general, you always find the root mm -hmm. of how the addiction is being manifested, you know? And uh, one of the people that really talks like that, and I'm very happy to hear that he talks like that too, is Gabor Mate. I don't know if you know him. You know the, the the myth of normal and his his work with addictions before, and I, only only in the last few years I found out that he he talks like that also. But because I've been I've been saying this for many days, and when people come to me for addictions, let's say porno addiction to pornography, addiction to shopping, addiction to 
um, to love. There's love addiction, addiction to uh, gambling, you know, alcohol. It's not about the alcohol. It's not about the gambling. It's not about the pornography. It's what's really happening in your life or what happened in your life that you're dealing with the pain and you're dealing with the loss through an addictive behavior. And that, the minute that you actually stopped your life and you said, hey, but that's not who I am. Why am I not having integrated all, all these parts of myself? And when you're, the pain is so so much greater than the where you're the, the way that you're functioning up until then that's when you begin this process you know there's a quote that i have in my book by anais nin she's a writer she, she was a very well-known female writer that says when the risk of staying in the bud is greater than the risk of blooming that's when transformation happens right like you can no longer stay who you were. You need there was there was something greater that was pushing you to say, okay, let me stop and see what am I doing. And that's the first step, which is a step of radical acceptance in this five stage framework that I'm talking about in my book. And it's not something that I invented. It's what I've observed over and over and over in the last 25 years working with patients, with individuals, with groups, with families, with communities there is there is the flow of what happens the first stage is that radical acceptance it's like yes i'm an addict yes let me be brutally honest with myself and say i have an addiction to 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 pornography or i am not not being completely honest with myself or i'm deceiving myself because i'm lying or i'm not i'm not being uh you know, um, integral or like, I'm not really recognizing all the parts of myself or I'm behaving in ways that I, that are, that are dissonant to who I am. And so there's that first stage of saying, it's almost like talking to yourself and saying, this is who I am. And it comes with shame and with pain when, you know, it's not, it's with humility. It's not, it's not easy to say something like that to yourself. It's not easy. But when you're able to be courageous enough to do it, because it takes a lot of courage to be in that radical acceptance place, then you can begin this process, you know? And then the next stage, which is the stage of safety and protection, the stage, the stage of awakening, is like I'm ready to reach out and actually trust somebody enough to be talking about this, to express my feelings to share this with someone else. So sometimes it's a therapist, sometimes it's your yoga teacher, sometimes it's, a, you know, be your guru in the mountains, the pilgrimage, uh, a, a religious group, a new practice, uh, an affiliation to a, to a belonging to a certain group. I mean, people do it in different ways, but it's that place of like, let me start talking about who I am. Let me talk, let me share this to get validation, to get recognition, to get acceptance for for all these shadows that I'm bringing, you know, without being criticized, without being judged, without being uh, dismissed or abandoned or rejected, you know. So who did you, were you able to say, hey, you know, I have these addictions or I'm not, I'm deceiving myself. Like you probably talked to somebody about yep. this, right? I talked to... Um... I found first I found uh, other males on YouTube talking about like, hey, I was like, 
blown away, Dr. Shiro, of these young men uh, stopping pornography. And I was like, you can do that? And it was like this mind, because it's just been part of my ritual for a decade. Because it's like, oh, this is me. This is my part of my identity. It's part of my ego. It's part of who I think I am. And then all of a sudden, this thing slithers in of like, you don't have to do that to actually, you know, have a meaningful life. And that's right. what blew that's what blew me away. So um, I eventually talked to somebody, but I, at the beginning, it for me it was like this this obsession over this this thing that I fully didn't shine that light on for a long time. And then eventually got to that point where I, I started to open up online. I, I started to create videos about it in podcasts. But um, yeah, it definitely was this acceptance. Even to my partner, I did open up and said, hey, I have a problem. And that was embarrassing at first. It's like, hey, this look at this brokenness of me. Look at yeah. this vulnerable side of me, this private, intimate, yeah. you know. Right, Totally. Absolutely. And that brokenness, I love that you're, you know, that you're bringing that up because that brokenness, those cracks are, is where the light comes in. That's the shining where the light comes in, right? It's when we're too put together, you know, it's very hard to have new, new light and new shining coming through. (laughs) Right. But when you, when we're broken in a way, we're expanding. And, and that takes us to this third stage, the stage of new narratives, which is, the identity gets redefined because previous to that, maybe your identity was in order to be a man, I have to watch pornography. That's part of being a man. That's part of my, this is part of who I am. This is part of what defines me. This is my routine or the things that I do are part of who I am. And then in this third stage, when all of these things have been broken and when we, you know, the way that you understand yourself and you understand the world no longer applies and it's shattered it's like okay how do i put these pieces back together in a way that makes sense how do i rewrite history for myself how do i re reinvent a narrative and a new identity really it's really building a new identity like almost like being reborn but this time with more consciousness with more awareness with more carefulness in how to put these pieces together and how do I want to define myself? How do I want to talk about myself? How do I want to write the story about who I am? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's such an amazing opportunity in, in some ways. Because from that dark place, from that darkness and that pain, we can like shed the light and begin to choose the pieces and invent new pieces of ourselves, new parts of ourselves that maybe we didn't even know existed. You know, that's the beauty. It's like, wow, I'm stronger than what I thought I was. I am more capable. I am more resilient or I have these qualities for myself. Like I'm so creative or I'm so uh, insightful or, you know, that I didn't even know I, I existed in myself. Yeah. And that's, that's, a, that's a beautiful stage. I love that third stage because people become very creative. It's like that's when you start trying new things. You join a new group. You begin to believe in certain things. You read every book possible. You join every workshop possible. You know, yeah. like oh, yeah. you go on, on pilgrimages. You know, it's like that's right. 
right? Did that happen to you? <laughs> Absolutely. All the books. I was so hungry for books. You couldn't even imagine it. Like, yeah, you're absolutely right. I started to do workshops. I started to go get certified in NLP and then CBT. And then I was like, this is, I'm like, you, you're hungry. Absolutely. You're hungry for it. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's and, totally right. And I love in the book, when you talk about the third stage of becoming, um, the movement out of a set stuck mindset into this developing mindset, you're like open, you're, it's like you're moving past the overgrown garden that you're inhabiting and you're looking beyond that. Beautiful. Yes. Yeah. 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 You start, you move from a fixed mindset into a growth mindset. You're open to new possibilities. You say, okay, the way that I see life is not just this narrow way or the way I thought it was, but hmm, there are new ways of looking at things that I didn't even know existed. And the fact that you allow yourself for these new ways to come in requires flexibility. It's like, you know, like it's your mind expands. And you're like saying, okay, I'm ready to encompass a lot more than what I used to. And from maybe from that place of me maybe being overprotected or that comfort zone in which I only saw one way of seeing things. Wow, the the world opens up, right? And say, ah, but other people see this in another way or there are other ways of seeing things that I didn't know or the other ways of behaving or feeling or acting or relating to others in which I didn't know. Happen. Yep. Um, to swing it back to that Carl Jung quote about, you know, people avoid facing their own souls. It was this fear for me that I was afraid of, you know, what am I capable of? Or what could I actually do? Like not having trust in my body because I was at one point suffering from health anxiety, right? So everything became a monster. And so agoraphobia occurred Mm -hmm. at that point it's like the fear of everything a fear of fear itself almost right and then it's like what could i do could i go a block from my house and survive it's like oh yeah i'm I'm competent i could you know even though i felt so bad my anxiety was a level 11 at that point i survived so it's like huh okay if i could do that maybe i can take a step further and then a step further and so that's you know, talking about growth mindset, that's the, the where the transformation came for me. It's like, you know, I, I had little trust in my body, but now it's like, I, there's, my body can do way more. So mm. What am I holding yeah. back? Yes. And yeah. I, I mean, I, I love, I love when people start like taking those risks yeah. because it's like, wow, it's like a little baby going out in the world in some way and saying with this new shape and new form and new understanding and like you're still feeling very vulnerable and still feeling very you know fragile but taking the risk of stepping out in the world and that that's a big deal that's a big thing and I usually see this happen with a lot of support around I mean usually people don't do that by themselves but like you have either one person that is there cheering you up or being accountable for those steps or having your support and saying, you can always come back to me because I'm going to be there for you. Like usually this kind of, you know, risks are taken 
in the context of like some sort of like safety and support. So either because you're in therapy and you're, you know, being uh, held by your therapist or your partner or your family member, or a friend or a group, you know, that these things happen. And it's beautiful to see. It really is. It's like being reborn and like beginning life, you know, seeing life from like a fresh new eyes, you know? Like, Absolutely. Um, and then the fourth stage being. Yes. So that's the stage of integration. Integration. That's the stage when you say, I not only am this new person that has incorporated and transformed into all these new identities and new ways of seeing life and understanding myself and others, but I can also acknowledge where I come from and who I was and the trauma that happened to me. And I can talk about it without being triggered. So this is the moment where I can say, yes, I was an, I was an addict or I had an addiction. I had an addiction to pornography, but you can say it without hiding, without, you know, having all those feelings that you cannot tolerate without, you know, you can say, yes, I was, I had an addiction to alcohol or yes, I was at war. I was, I'm a survivor of war or yes, I was sexually abused without having to have your world fall apart, you know, and you are able to integrate the old story and the new story because you are all of it. You're the whole thing, you know, and your story is the whole story. And then you're able to see where you come from and you say, wow, I really have changed, transformed. I really have done this major leap, major springboard into something else, you know. Amazing. That's, you know, you brought up something in my mind of when I was going, separating myself from pornography, I started to talk to myself in the past tense. Past tense. I used to watch porn. I used to do this. I used to, and it's like separating the identity and with the new one. I know. Amazing, right? That you yeah. can do that. It's like, and then we become all these versions of ourselves as we grow that we no longer even identify with. Like, I don't even remember the versions of myself that I was a few years ago. There have been so many identities and so many versions because there's a constant transformation when you're in this journey of growth that takes, okay, yes, I used to be that, but I am different now. Yeah, absolutely. And then the final stage, this transformation. And so what happens at this stage? So this is my favorite stage. This is the stage of wisdom and growth. Right. This is a stage when you feel like you have arrived in some way. And, and by the way, these are stages that can constantly repeat. They can go back and forth. It's not a linear process at all. Mm -hmm. And it's, I almost see it like a spiral more than a linear, you know, cause you, you can get to wisdom and growth in something, but then be in the first stage in something else, you know, and you can do this in 10 years with some other trauma, you know, so it, it keeps, it keeps moving. And this fifth stage of transformation, of transforming, of wisdom and growth is a stage when you are able to recognize and understand yourself as the strong person that you are. And you say, wow, I've been able to overcome things. So I, I understand myself as a strong person. You have more appreciation for life. There's this sense of appreciation 
and gratitude than maybe you didn't have before. You're in this like, wow, you know, I'm so grateful for the relationship I have. I'm so grateful for, you know, the, the job that I do or the life that I'm living. I'm so appreciative of the flower on the tree. And, the, you know, you become much more sensitive to life. Your relationships become much more meaningful because your priorities change so you don't waste so much time on things that are not meaningful and usually people tend to be much more deep in their connections you know their connections become much more like i'm connecting with you and we're not talking so much bullshit we're like straight to you know into connecting into being into being honest and real and authentic you know and i I love that it's like life is so much more full in this stage you know you also For a lot of people in this fifth stage, we have developed some sort of awake, spiritual awakening. And by spiritual, I don't mean religious at all. What I mean is like a connection with the higher self, a connection with the universe, with the world, with nature, understanding that we're all connected, understanding that um, there's something bigger than ourselves in the sense that, you know, we are we're so much bigger than just this story, you know? And for some people, it's a spiritual awakening. People go from these breakdowns into a spiritual awakening. I usually quote um, an amazing colleague of mine, Lisa Miller. She uh, has written a book called um, uh, The Awakened Brain, in which she has amazing research showing that people that have gone through trauma and that have overcome it and that have grown spiritually there's even a part of the brain of the cerebral cortex that becomes thicker because the spirituality can be registered in the body. How amazing is that? I love that. I love that. I mean, her and I constantly talk about this. And uh, what's beautiful about it is not just that it's registered in the body, this spiritual awakening and the spiritual part of ourselves is that, this is my favorite part, is that, it becomes a protective factor later on for future trauma. Meaning once you develop the spiritual part of yourself, once you're able to have it in your body and know it and be connected with it, next time you go through some traumatic experience, this protects you from that, from it shaking you. You know what I mean? Wow. Could you elaborate a little bit more on that? Like what happens... Uh, because that's so fascinating. It really lightened up my mind right now when you said that. So when you go through something traumatic, highly emotional, uh, is there like, are you less reactive towards it? Or or you, you have the tools at hand to, to appropriately, you know, not... Yeah, what happens at that point? Yeah, yeah. It's fascinating. It's really, it is, it is. It's fascinating because what it does is that when you go through these stages and you're able to develop, not just spiritually, but emotionally, you know, your mind expands, you become more resilient, honestly, you become, you have this growth, this leap. It allows you to face the new challenges in life with all these tools in all these abilities, in all this understanding in which you're not going to be shaken and not going to be destroyed and not going to be uh, shattered in the way that you were before, which is a great thing That's in some great. way, you know, yeah. right? Because then you're like, 
hey, I know I'm strong. I know I have the tools. I, I've right. done this before. It's happened to me before. I, and, and look at me. I survived. I was able to handle it. I get not it. Only, yeah. right? You get it? And not, oh, just from a, not just from a behavioral place, but from a spiritual place. Like it's so much bigger than yourself. It's like, I, I, I know I'm connected. I know where I am. I know what I'm doing. I know what, yes, I'm suffering. Yes, this is hard. Yes, I'm, I'm going through a trauma again or I'm going through something difficult again. But I know I can do it. I am in a different place in my life. I totally get that. That makes so much sense because when I look at the role models around me, such as the Dalai Lama who has said that each and every morning, someone asked him, are you afraid of death? And he's like, each and every morning, I actually have this death and rebirth through a meditation. He Or like Wim Hof, who, the Iceman, who goes into the cold water and because he has tested his body in this extreme pain, the fear of say something like going and getting a needle, which used to be a fear of mine, right? Doesn't seem as fearful because it's like, Hey, if I can withstand the pain of a ice bath, then getting a needle, it's like, I can do that. So I totally get that. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Right. Amazing. That's totally exactly. Yes. Amazing. And the last thing about that last, that fifth stage is that usually people that are able to transform in this way take that that lesson take those those wisdom that understanding and put it into service mm -hmm. and what you're doing for example brad is such a beautiful example of that it's like everything you learned everything you understood about yourself your own process your own growth look at what what we're doing right now and so you're making it available for other people to grow as well and that's usually what happens. That's why this post-traumatic growth is so powerful because mm -hmm. it's not just good for you, but it's good for the community as well. Absolutely. Um, how did trauma and post-traumatic growth become this drive and this passion for you? Yeah, no, thank you for that question. I feel like I've, I've been born being a psychologist in some way and talking about this. Partly because, I, you know, I'm a child of Holocaust survivors. My grandparents were trauma survivors from the war. My other grandparents were refugees. Uh, that, and I feel like I have it in my DNA, you know, that surviving understanding of trauma. And I grew up in a community also in which I saw these groups of people, some of them stuck in trauma, some of them, you know, surviving, and some of them, like my grandfather, being this thriving person that was able to overcome it and have a joy of life and have like that sense of like appreciation for life in a very different way and I've seen throughout my professional work working with Cambodian refugees and working with 9-11 survivors working with uh, sexual abuse working with you know immigrants you know like myself like going through the process of immigration or the discrimination or you know overcoming adversity in life it's like you know, I constantly would see people that were like barely surviving and I would see people that were like, wow, they were going, doing really, really amazing things with their lives because of the bad things that happened. So inevitably, I would have my patients say, Edith, you know, even though I don't wish this on anybody, I don't. I, this was the most painful thing in my life. I would not change that for anything in the world because it made me the person that I am today. 
And it was incredible to see those transformations happen. And I think I kept wanting to do more of that and report that more and, you know, and really give it to people in the sense that trauma doesn't have to be a life sentence. It doesn't have to be the thing that defines you and determines you. But there's all this, this other possibility that people don't know about that I think it's very important to know, you know? Yes. Thank you for sharing. Um, this conversation has been so magnificent in so many ways for me and I'm sure for my listeners as well, but I, I greatly appreciate it. I do have a last question. When someone comes to you and they're talking to you about something that has happened to them, something big, and they say, which is I'm sure common, I don't know, you tell me, uh, I don't know if I'm ready yet to explore this. I don't know when is the right time. Um, uh, and uh, what's that process like at the beginning to, is it through talking? Is it through some sort of visualization exercise or is it through writing? What's that beginning part? Is there a right time? Yeah. So when they come to me, they already have made a decision because when they pick up the phone, they call me as a psychologist, right. they already have had a part of them that is ready. Okay. You know, cause otherwise until people are ready, they don't even call a psychologist. Right. They don't even go for that. Right. So by the time they're calling me, there's even a little part of them that is saying, I'm willing, I'm willing to explore this. So for everybody's different. For some people, it's about staying connected with their body and exploring what it feels like little by little, baby steps, very, very carefully, what's coming up. For some other people, it's just talking about other things until they're ready to talk about what's happening. For some people, it's not even talking at all. I've had some people that they just do writing, drawing. We do movement even in the office. Like everybody, there's entry ways that are very different for everybody for some people it's like having an exploration with psychedelics and then they come to me you know to integrate and to understand better like every there's really different ways to of entry and it's so it's meeting the person where they're at because it's not about how i do it it's about what makes sense for the other person what makes sense for the person and sometimes i invite that person to bring in other meaningful people in their lives so they can feel supported, they can feel that they are accompanied, that we can have a whole conversation together about this. So it depends. It depends. It's, it varies. Wow. Thank you uh, so much. I, I have a quote from your book. This is in your words that I do want to end this podcast on. You say, transformation requires the shattering of what used to be in order to reimagine what is possible, a commitment to grow through the suffering and emerge reborn. Thank you. Beautiful. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you so much, Brad. My pleasure. And where can people find you? And it, the book is now available, I believe. So where can we go? Because everybody listening, I mean, come on, you got to go get that book, man. I mean, <laughs> what's more to say, right? So. <laughs> It's called, yes, The Unexpected Gift of Trauma, The Past to Post-Traumatic Growth is in every platform, Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, in the 
everywhere, really. Everywhere you ask for it, you'll find it. You have it in Audible, you have it in, you know, um, Kindle, everywhere. And I would love for everybody to get it so they can, uh, you know, and understand the new way of seeing things, of, of new possibilities, and to have a conversation about it. I can't wait to to talk about this with all of you. And um, you can find me on Instagram, Dr. Edith Shiro, where my website, www.dredithshiro.com, Facebook. I have, I think I'm opening a YouTube channel, which I'm putting some videos about this as well. Great. So easy to find, very Great. easy to find. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. It's been an honor, really. And thank you for sharing Likewise. everything that you did. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Brad's Pod-